G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the all new Car Expert podcast. Now we have a really fast podcast for you today. We're gonna to be talking about muscle cars, supercars and race cars. Now, joining me, fresh from Charlotte Motor Speedway is Scott Colley. How you doing Scott? Sean, if you're not first, you're last baby. <laughs> Shake a bake. I'm a convert. <laughs> and uh, joining us for her debut on the podcast this week, the master of office snacks and viral content at Car Expert, Jade Credentino. Jade, welcome to the Car Expert podcast. It is so nice to be here and I got the two best in the business. So what more can I offer? Jade knows how to get invited Yeah, you can come back anytime. No matter what happens today, you're welcome back. Uh, Scott, you've just come back from the States. How was your little jaunt over to North Carolina? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, little jaunt, very serious work trip, just to make that really clear. Uh, but I was over there driving the new Mustang Dark Horse and we started at Charlotte in North Carolina and drove on the Oval, which we'll get to, and then finished up in Washington DC after a bit of a road trip. Uh, it's part of the States I haven't seen before. Very, very interesting. Uh, we also had a bit of NASCAR exposure, which was awesome fun. Very cool. We are going to talk about that. Uh, we've got a, a lot of that coming up, so stick around. But Jade, we're going to get started. Nick, you broke a story uh, fresh out of South Australia about some interesting laws around uh, supercar owners. Do so you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it was actually really interesting. The Based on a accident that happened in 2019 where a pedestrian unfortunately lost their life um, from being hit by a supercar, um, South Australian government decided to reform a lot of their road rules and a lot of their road laws. Um, and so now we have all these road rules that have come out and the most, I guess, shocking one or one that, you know, people are kind of up in arms about is a special license for supercar drivers, so Lamborghinis. Porsches even fit under that, um, Maseratis, Bugattis, so it's very interesting. So just to fill you in, if you are playing along at home, uh, they're going to call it a U-Class license, and basically if you drive a high-powered vehicle that's under 4.5 tonne GVM but over 276 kilowatt per tonne, which is cars like the Aventador, uh, the 488, uh, McLaren 720S. Uh, the one that surprised me was actually the 911 Turbo S. I didn't realise it was quite that powerful. Uh, you're going to have to to get this licence to actually drive your car. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. So the licensing, um, from what I understand, the South Australian government will give 270 vehicles, uh, vehicle owners that will be affected by this, um, a grace period until December 2024 to go and get this license. From a basic Google search, um, one of the only places in the world that actually requires supercar drivers to have such a license. I think the thing that jumps out at me about this is one of the sections there that we got here, and it's you can't turn off your safety systems because that was, I believe, a factor in the crash that caused those laws to start with. So if you do disable your ABS, which is pretty difficult to do, but your autonomous emergency braking, stability or traction control, you're actually liable for further punishment in South Australia in these vehicles relative to if you'd left them on. And I can understand the logic behind it, but I also know that it's a really easy thing to do in these cars. BMW has a button in its really powerful cars where you press it and it turns everything off because you're on a track. Uh, but obviously people use that on the road as well. Uh, I do think it'll make people think twice before taking things into their own hands, but I am also curious to know if there isn't a crash, how it's going to be enforced. Because if you get pulled over by the police, it's pretty simple to press the traction control button and turn it back on, and yep. I doubt Lamborghini is going to be sharing that information with police unless there is a serious accident. Mm, that's a good point. Yep. One thing, I do want to come back to how they're going to get the licence in a moment, yep. but just on that point, I think like the hooning laws are quite strong in a lot of states in Australia. so could they potentially impound the car under hooning laws and then check the computer? Like we know they do after an accident, they check the computer logs. So is that something they could do? 
potentially. I don't have a good answer for you because I'm not a South Australian lawyer, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think obviously that this is something that only really comes into force over a certain sort of threshold. It's not as if if you're driving down the main street in your supercar, you're going to get pulled over and asked, hey, sir, do you have the traction control on? So maybe we're playing in the margins a little bit. I just do find interesting now that the law is extending beyond just the outcome and it's looking at the inputs that led to it as well in your car. And I wonder if it's something other states may look at. Mm, I do hope so. Now, I'm uh, a big believer that if you kill someone in your car, you should serve a very hefty prison sentence. Uh, there was an incident in Sydney a couple of years ago where someone driving a McLaren did hit a cyclist, caused them, they didn't kill them, but they caused a lot of damage to that, that poor cyclist. Uh, and they got a 12 month prison sentence, which is terrible. Like that's not enough in my opinion. Like you, if you shoot someone, you go to prison for a lot longer than that. So uh, I think they said five years for a basic offense, seven years for an aggravated offense, which is like driving under the influence, um, turning off these safety systems. That's, that's. Yeah, correct. So uh, another interesting point is that in 2019, when this accident happened, from my understanding, the driver only got 12 months. That was the maximum penalty for basically killing someone with a supercar at that time. So that's also why this law has now been, um, you know, introduced and they've also increased the, the maximum penalty punishment time. Um, they've also changed what they define as an aggravated offence. Um, so definitely head over to the carexpert.com.au website and you can find all the information there. But it's really interesting to see what they define an aggravated offence versus a basic offence because some states wouldn't even classify certain, uh, I guess, parameters as a basic offence. So they've really honed down on how strict they're going to be on these drivers. Can we just sort of hone in on the fact here that I actually don't mind the idea of if you have a really powerful car, you need some understanding of the damage that can cause because, I mean, cars in general are getting more powerful, but it seems like every day there's a new story of someone with a really fancy fast car doing some sort of damage, either showing off and crashing into something stationary or actually hurting someone. This is around the world, not just in Australia. But all cars are capable of doing damage. Um, you know, even from a little Kia Picanto with a long enough run up all the way through to the really high end stuff. If we're acknowledging now that if you can cause damage with your car, you should be more aware of that and be trained better. Surely that's an acknowledgement that maybe everyone needs better training and maybe this U class license or whatever goes into it could just become the baseline for, for everyone getting a license in South Australia. Yeah, I think, so one of the things in, in terms of getting the U class license, it's proposed that they'll have to do an online test to get Correct. it, right? Yes. That's, that's excuse well, the language, crap. That's everyone knows crap. that you can't lie in an online form. <laughs> that's <laughs> like when you log on to jackdaniels.com and they say, are you 18? Yes or no? Yes. Um, it's impossible to lie there, so. <laughs> that's, I think that's a huge problem. I mean, I understand that if you have a supercar, there's a very good chance you've probably been to a track day. Like if you purchased a Lamborghini, Lamborghini probably taking you to a track day, but like it's still not teaching you the, the the handling characteristics of a car on a road. So I don't know, just as an example, if you want to operate a drone for filming purposes that weighs more than uh, two kilograms, you have to go and spend 10 grand to do a two week course and get a whole heap of certifications to actually be able to fly that drone. Now, you still can't fly it over people's heads. You still can't fly it in the airports without proper permission, but it's a very strict licensing scheme to be able to do that. But yet you can get in a two ton missile that can do 300 kilometers an hour after sitting a BuzzFeed quest. Like that, that doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, not really, no. But I do think it's a step in the right direction because it is at least forcing people to be conscious of what can happen. And I do think part of the problem with cars in general, not just these supercars, because 
I don't want to demonise the people who buy these cars. A lot of them are real enthusiasts who have worked really hard to earn them and they're not out to do any damage or do anything stupid. I think we need to say that. Um, but I also know in my experience, just being exposed to the damage that can be caused, and I think of on track, for example, the number of times you've been driving something fast on track and made a small mistake and almost had an accident or felt the car move on you and that sort of thing, and it really pulls your ego back into check. I think this is not quite at that level, but at least it makes people consider the consequences of their actions and really aware that when you put your foot down in your 911 Turbo S, it really can cause some harm. So yes, it's a bit tokenistic, but the idea of forcing people at least to go, I'm doing something, I'm doing it consciously, I'm doing it with knowledge of the penalties and the impact it could have, is a move in the right direction. Yeah. Look, I feel like if they're going to introduce a licensing scheme, they should do it properly. You know, you can't just do an online course and get a truck license. Uh, uh, you know, so it, it seems like they're, it's just from my personal opinion, it seems like they're not quite going far. And like you said, I don't want to demonize supercar drivers. A lot of them are lovely, lovely people. But yeah, it's, it's still a car that, yeah, it handles a bit differently to a Picanto, for instance. Yeah. So. I think it'll be interesting to see also um, to the level of detail they're going to go into because uh, a Lamborghini compared to a, a Porsche 911, it, they're very different. They handle very differently. The, the power to weight ratios can also be very different. So I think it'll be very interesting to see when it does come out, um, even just me having a basic understanding of how these cars work and in certain situations, whether it, the information that they quiz you on and the information that they give drivers, whether that's adaptable to all vehicles or whether it's going to be specific to, you know, specific Lamborghinis or Porsches or whatever. Well, while we're saying that there should be stricter licensing for, <laughs> for fast cars, let's move on to Scott's little trip to the States where he drove not quite as fast a car, but a, so tell us a little bit. So you, you flew over to uh, North Carolina, which yeah. is the home of Charlotte Motor Speedway, which if you uh, are racing enthusiasts will know is the home of the Coca-Cola 600, which is an insane NASCAR race. It's 600 miles around an oval. The average speed is 193 kilometers an hour for five hours straight. Uh, I presume you didn't quite reach those speeds. Uh, I went, went faster than that. Oh, did you? Uh, we did. So. Yeah, Charlotte is the home of NASCAR. It's uh, home to the NASCAR Hall of Fame, which we went and had a look at while we were over there. But that Charlotte Motor Speedway is, is pretty ingrained in the, the racing culture. So it kind of made sense for Ford to launch the Mustang there. Um, we got to drive on the Roval. So it's a combination road course and oval. Um, you start in the pits and pull out straight onto the banking, which is 22, 23 degrees, something like that. It is properly steep and it's, it's completely sort of eye-opening when you first hop up, hop up on there. We went round in a bus to start with and it felt like the bus was going <laughs> to topple over. Everyone was on the right side of the <laughs> yeah, hanging out the edge. Um, but yeah, fastest I got around the oval was 133 mile an hour. It's about 215 k's an hour. And then from there you're breaking into a hairpin and you tuck into the road course. and. Yeah, the Mustang is is pretty quick. It's got a five litre Coyote V8, still naturally aspirated, but it's now got 373 kilowatts and 567 Newton meters. So it's the most powerful naturally aspirated Mustang ever, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's and wild. Ford keeps sort of turning that engine up. Uh, we actually spoke with some of the people behind the development of the car and they said they looked at a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid and then just landed on more grunt from the V8. Yeah. So they looked at a hybrid <laughs> and laughed and then, yeah, they said freedom yeah. and kept going. <laughs> but they have made some changes. So the six-speed manual in this car is a Tremec gearbox. The Mustang GT, which is sort of the more road-oriented one, it's a Getrag gearbox. It's right. a little bit less track focused. They've also made some tweaks to the 10 speed automatic. It is definitely better, but it still feels determined to try every single gear. 
Um, in a car like this, which has got five litres of displacement, so much power, so much torque, you need about three gears. Mm. So the fact it's got 10 speeds is just too many. Um, but it is, it's sort of a heavy step forward from the last car, which was the Mac 1, um, and it really does feel like an improvement. So uh, I think a few people are divided on the looks. I'm not a huge fan of the looks of the Dark Horse. I think that they've got a bit too much plastic, like black plastic on the front, looks like it's wearing eyeshadow. Uh, but the funny thing is I look at the V8 Supercars Mustangs and I think they look fantastic. So uh, Jade, what do you think of the looks of the new Mustang? It's hard because I feel like I just get constantly surprised every time we get something in our emails and something's been revealed, I'm like, Wow, I wasn't expecting this. Um, look, I think Ford has done a good enough job that people are still going to buy it. They're still going to look at that and That's be like... That's such yeah. <laughs> It's not so ugly that it's unbuyable. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, look, I think they're going to buy it. Is it going to appeal to everybody? Probably not. Um, like you said, maybe a bit too much eyeshadow, but... It just looks like it had a good night out. So <laughs> that, that would be what I would say. I think also having seen it in person, uh, there are bits of it I don't love, but compared to the last car, it's a really interesting evolution. It definitely looks a little bit sleeker is probably the word for it. Mm. It doesn't look as dopey at the front. It, it's a little bit sort of sharper, the lines along the side of it. Some of the eyeshadow stuff I agree with, but the red car we drove in particular, I think we've got some footage going somewhere here. If you watch watching YouTube, you can see it. We'll show you an image right yeah. now of the red one. Um, but it, it actually looks really neat in person, and the black highlights, provided you don't get the appearance pack, which gives you extra black stuff, they're not too much. So I was kind of with you in the pictures. I wasn't a huge fan, but in person, it really won me over very quickly. The other thing that is, I think, a big winning aspect, something the old Mustang was a bit delayed on was getting good infotainment. Mm. Now, this has gone to a full digital dash and yeah. instrument cluster, hasn't it? Yeah, so that was one of my big worries, actually. One of the cool things about the Mustang is that it still feels like an old-school muscle car. And the last one had that classic three air vents at the top of the centre stack. It had what looked like hooded dials. They weren't after the update. The new one is very modern inside. You get a wraparound display with fewer buttons. Um, I thought I was going to hate it, but compared to the old car, it feels a million years better. And the tech inside this definitely walks the line really nicely between helping people who are old school. They're still big icons. You can still have classic gauges, but also offering enough for younger buyers to feel like they're getting into something up to date. So that was probably my biggest worry about the car going in, and I actually think Ford's done a really good job with it. So the Dark Horse is somewhat, it's not a special edition for Australia, but it's a bit of a unique addition to Australia. Yeah. Now it comes with track modes, and it comes with a whole bunch of exhaust modes, which, you know, you say what you will about exhaust modes. Does it still sound really good? It sounds incredible. Because so, yeah, that's important. It absolutely is. And it's part of the point of this car, right? Even if people aren't going to take it on track, they want it to sound like a classic muscle car and look like a classic muscle car. Um, Ford has given you a range of modes. There's quiet mode. It's not that quiet. It still sounds <laughs> like a V8. Uh, and then all the way through normal sport and track mode, which apparently is for track use only. Yes, um, track I remember, yeah, don't use that in South Australia. <laughs> yeah, get you in all no sorts of yeah. Great in the tunnel though, right? Um, <laughs> It's track use only in the same way that the, the lasagna I plan to eat for lunch is for four people. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's used whenever you want. It sounds fantastic. It's um, also got auto rev matching. Uh, on no, the road, no, I... No, get rid of it. Well, Just get rid of it. You say that. On the road, I agree. I turn it off in a manual car on the road because I like doing it myself. But braking on the banking, again, wrong side of the car, going fast, wall right there. I was pretty grateful for the rev matching, actually, because <laughs> there was enough going on in my head. So 
Um, a car like the Mustang is meant to be approachable and meant to get, you know, people sort of, I suppose, feeling like heroes. You know, it's the sort of car that the people who buy it aren't hardcore track nuts, but they might want to do that stuff. And I feel like Ford's done a really good job with this car of making it enjoyable, engaging on track, but also making it challenging enough for people who want to sort of grow with the car. So the tech can all be turned off, but trust me when I say when you are flat out on a track, there's a lot of thinking going on. It's a good place to start. It lets you focus on the important things, and from there you can turn the tech off and grow with the car. What about you, Jay? Would you have a new Mustang? Yes, but automatic only. <laughs> Jay, uh, we get to teach Jay to drive a manual. Maybe yeah. that's how we can get you into a manual car. Ford would love that. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. We're sorry, yeah, mate. New <laughs> that's, that's suicide. <laughs> so, look, are you thinking about getting a new Mustang or any new car? Well, we have the perfect tool for you. Head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert, and it'll take you to a landing page that will show you some pictures of Paul. If you haven't seen him already, I'm sorry. Uh, he will be able to help you find a new car, finance a new car, connect you to a wide range of dealers all across the country and get you into a new Mustang, uh, an old Mustang, uh, Land Cruiser, whatever you want to do. There is the car for you and we have the connection to the dealer that you need. So head to Google, type in Help Me Car Expert. Now moving on to our last segment, we all went on a little outing last week to uh, Gran Turismo the movie, which is based on the PlayStation game uh, massive game. I'm a big fan. Scott, you're a big fan. Jade, I'm not sure how much experience you have playing Gran Turismo, but how, did, how was it for you walking in uh, into that movie premiere last week? Yeah, so um, a lot of people won't know this. Growing up, I was the biggest tomboy. Like, I had a skateboard. I didn't wear dresses. I was like, my mum was convinced I was a boy. Um, Gran Turismo was like every every day when you get home from school, chuck it on the PlayStation 2 and that's it. Like you're sitting there for hours. So I really had like this emotional connection with Gran Turismo. I never knew the story behind it and I made sure that the boys didn't say anything because I just wanted to go in with such an open mind. It was cool. I think I had to take my marketing promotion hat off and try and enjoy it. <laughs> for what it was because there was a lot of product placement and there was a lot of, I guess, Nissan trying to make it about Nissan, which wasn't bad. It was just um, obviously seeing it from where it, your everyday person will see it from. I rate it. I told my dad to go watch it. He hasn't watched it yet, but I'm very keen to hear what he has to say. So if you don't know anything about uh, Gran Turismo, the film, if you haven't heard anything about it, basically it's the story of Jan Mardenborough. He was a Gran Turismo gamer in England who won a competition to race real cars with Nissan Motorsport. Uh, it's directed by Neil Blomkamp. It also stars uh, Orlando Bloom and Stranger Things' David Arbor, so they're really good reasons to go watch it anyway. Uh, basically, it follows along through... A very creatively told version of Jan's <laughs> life. Definitely abridged. Yes. It's an abridged version of yes. Jan's life. Um, yeah, Jan, to Jan's credit, he does currently race uh, in a whole bunch of series, a lot of open wheeler categories in Asia, doing really well. He's actually was turned out to be a really good little race car driver. Um, the fun fact about the film is Jan actually came and did all the stunt driving for the movie. Yes, uh, that was cool. Basically playing himself in the race car, because obviously actors in race cars is not good. Yeah. Uh, one thing I loved about the film from a filmmaking perspective was they put real cameras on real cars and drove them on real racetracks. Um, technically, it was a really, really beautiful film. What did you guys think about, like, from that perspective? I thought it was beautifully shot. Um, one of the problems with these racing movies is often that it feels really fake or forced. Uh, and I think Rush was probably the movie that 
took a big step forward and showed people that with the right investment, it's possible. It's, it's an awesome movie about uh, James Hunt and Nicky Lauda. Um, I did have some frustrations with it. Mm. And this is as someone who plays Gran Turismo, but also someone who just likes cars and driving fast. Um, for all of the beautiful shots and the, the detail and some of the stuff about GT racing that was really real, the number of times someone was going flat out down a straight and then downshifted and started going faster again, really Fast and Furious style. It's a Fast and Furious effect, isn't it? Yeah. I completely <laughs> lost count. And that drove me absolutely insane because if you are going at flat chat down the Mulzahn straight, you can't just drop a gear and go faster. That is not how that works. Yeah. Um, I was also a little bit frustrated with the lack of detail, and that's because we're car nerds and gaming nerds when it comes to Gran Turismo, but um, Jan went from one of the fastest drivers in the, uh, in the Gran Turismo world to one of the fastest drivers in the road world like that, and then he went from GT to Le Mans. I don't know about you guys, but the jump happened really quickly for me. Yeah, it's a short movie. Um, it's not a miniseries, I guess. <laughs> I would have liked it to maybe be pushed out. Like, I think now that Fast and Furious is done, what is going to fill that gap? Because I think there's a lot of people that are still in that. And I think Fast and Furious kind of built up an audience. So I think if Gran Turismo could have made it into, you know, a, a two or even three part movie, it would have been really cool to kind of play out exactly what happened and not kind of skip a few, you know, very important steps in, in his career, I guess. I think it came out at the right time. I think if they tried to make this film 10 years ago, it would have been terrible. No one will have enjoyed it. I think in a post-Drive to Survive world, it's actually, it fits in that gap really well. And I think personally, people that like Drive to Survive but are maybe not full-blown racing fans, they're going to love the film. It's yeah. really cool. It's action-packed. It feels fast. It feels like you're on the track with them a lot of the time. Um, there's some moments in the film that, that uh, there's an incident that happens in the film where there's a crash at the Nürburgring Nordschleifer. Um, I went and found the footage on the internet and watching the footage on the internet and watching the scene in the film, like they nailed it. It is yeah. exactly what happened. And you watch the movie and you remember that scene, you sort of go, wow, that's a bit crazy. I think but I started crying. Like I turned to Jack and Jack was normal. And yeah. I was like, am I the only one that is like, this is so sad. It was, it was brutal. Like it's a brutal scene and they, they do it. Like they did some things really, really well. I yeah. feel like some of the things that were a bit of a letdown, like the bad guy felt a little bit 60s James Bond villainy. Yeah, the, the gold-plated rich yeah. car, basically. Yeah. I yeah. get what they're going for. Like, it's a bit of a stereotype, but it's also, as a, as a race fan... I feel like it's old news. Yeah, it doesn't feel You know, reinvent real. it. You've got an opportunity here to create a character that is going to be memorable for the movie, and I feel like he was, but it was a bit meh. Mm. Like, yeah. It was like, I expected him to be like the way he was. Look, as, as car movies and video game movies go, it was a pretty good one because yeah. Sony's yeah. previous attempt at a video game movie was Uncharted. Mm. And having played all those games, I can tell you Gran Turismo was a much, much better <laughs> yes. take on that formula. Yes, they, I think that they were self-aware enough with this movie that it was actually quite enjoyable. So, yeah, I think credit to Sony and yeah. PlayStation for putting this one together. Credit to Neil Blomkamp. It's, it's amazingly shot. It's a really beautiful film. I think it's a great Sunday afternoon flick if you're looking for something if... Um, Oppenheimer's a bit too dark for you. Uh, maybe go and check this one out. Uh, but it does make me think a little bit. Uh, what is your favourite car theme film? Jade, uh, I think you've got one picked out already. Yeah, I, I want to see what Scott okay, okay. has first. Ooh. And don't take mine. 
<laughs> I'm going to guess maybe cars. Yeah, no, you know what? There's a story behind it and it is not for the cameras or the audio, so I'll tell you that later. Okay, perfect. That, um, that's for the uncut later podcast. It's very embarrassing. Yeah, it's very embarrassing. Um, yes. right? yep. <laughs> 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 if you're not first, you're last. Um, probably Senna, uh, which okay. is more of a documentary, I realise. but uh, It's kind of cheating, but okay. It is cheating a little bit, I realise, but it is just such a beautifully put together movie about someone who is so significant to motor racing. Um, I also watched it with my girlfriend who is not a car person and she really enjoyed it. So yeah, as much as Too Fast, Too Furious was like a, <laughs> a foundational movie for me as a kid, I think Senna's gonna be the one that takes the cake. Okay, so Jade, I think your pick was safe. Okay, then. I'm safe. Uh, I actually had to do my research. I was saying to Sean earlier today that I, I, there's been no memorable car movies, in my opinion, that have come out in the last two or three years. So besides going back to my early childhood, which I ironically did, and I've chosen the Italian job, oh, not awesome. only because of my last name, but it was just, yeah, iconic. You don't forget it. Yeah, the Mini. And the original. If no, anyone says one. Mini, that is the first thing you think yeah. of, right? Like it's, yeah, 100% the bus scene, everything about it's great. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to try and impersonate Michael Caine. But yes, that is a really good pick. Um, What's yours? I'm not going to say my favourite because there's a whole bunch, but... but Just quickly, why, why ask the question? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a movie nut. I've seen every movie. You guys, I thought it might be... Let better. me throw it out Look, to you, but you can't ask me. I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> Let me... I, I, it's hard for me to go past Mad Max. I love Mad Max. Mad Max was a seminal film for me in terms of filmmaking and cars. Yeah. Um, but then Fury Road, as well, Mad Max Fury Road is equally as good in terms of the car yeah. side of things, I think. So... Yeah, it's a hard one. Look, we'd love to know what your favourite car movie is, so please leave us a comment or send us an email, podcast at carexpert.com.au. We want to know what you think of the show. We want to know what your favourite car movie is. We also want to know, would you buy a Mustang Dark Horse? That's uh, the question of the week. Uh, guys, is there anything else you want to leave us with before we head off today? Uh, I'm curious to know your thoughts while we're talking NASCAR about the one NASCAR race that people should watch. If you want to get into the sport, What's the one that's going to get you into it? Oh, I was going to say Chicago Street Race, but it's already been done. Um, I think if you're... Uh, that's a really tough one. Daytona 500 would be pretty epic. One of the, one of the big oval races. Not yeah. super speed, but one of the big oval races, I think, is, is where you want right, to be. Right, so Indy, Daytona, yeah. one of those ones. Yeah, one of the big ones where they, they get some speed, they're racing close together, rubbing's racing. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Should we ask you, Jade, do you? No, I'm just thinking about all the homework I have after this. I have to watch Uncharted, <laughs> learn manual. I have to now go and watch NASCAR. So thank you, boys. This You're has been a very insightful experience. Yes, <laughs> I'll be smoothing my leave tomorrow, Scott. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the end of the station wagon in Australia, Audi's new hybrid uh, SUV and the new Mazda CX-60. But before we go, I just want to know, what would you guys like to hear us talk about in the future? Do you want more super cars? Do you want more race cars? Do you want more electric cars? Probably not that one, but if that's what you want, do let us know. Write to us, podcast at carexpert.com.au or leave us a comment on YouTube. We'd love to know your thoughts. Any feedback you have would be much appreciated. But until next time, see you later.